puppies, pandas, piglets, and more are all waiting to be saved in Pet Rescue Saga. Just match two or more blocks of the same color to clear the level and free those lovable pets. Remember to plan your moves so you don't run out. It's easy and fun to play, challenging to master, and a great way to bring a little color to your day. From the makers of Candy Crush Saga, King presents Pet Rescue Saga. Download it from the App Store or Google Play. Hello and welcome to Ooh, Two, B. Ah, I've decided to commit to it. I'm back with Jim Chisholm this week. How are you doing, Jim? I'm, I'm fine, thank you. It's a very bold commitment. Yeah. I applaud you for it. Um, and thank you for having me back because you couldn't find anybody else, but it's, it's appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I haven't said who I am. I'm Stephen Chicken. You, you probably, hopefully, you know. <laughs> Repetition procedure, you don't yeah, need to. Exactly. Uh, we are looking to have a more sort of regular rotation of guests. Nothing against Jim, but just, you know, have some different voices on here. But being the summer holidays, and to be honest, probably the people that are available would rather be doing anything in, anything else in this weather than uh, than sitting in a room chatting. About Huddersfield Town, I should imagine. We're examiner Towers. Yeah. Observing, like you said, from our ivory tower, this beautiful landscape. Yeah, exactly. Who would want to do anything else? Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually kind of chilly up here because it's, you know... So, so the removed altitude. from the masses. Yeah, exactly. So this week, Town have played Doncaster Rovers in a pre-season friendly on Wednesday night. What were your brief thoughts on the game, Jim? I think, again, it was a good continuation of what we've seen before in pre-season. We looked aggressive, we were on the front foot, we were playing an attacking game, we were taking risks. Now, you can do that in pre-season, and maybe we'll come back to what pre-season can tell us later, but certainly positive. It was interesting to see so many youngsters. I think, I don't know if that's uh, a case of he's, he's trying to sort of save the player's legs a little bit and he's going to give the night you presume he's see that's going to give 90 minutes to the first team on Saturday against Montpellier but Donny were basically playing a full strength team and Town were playing all the youngsters I think I worked out that the average age was was 22 and a half or something like that 22.8 I think it was eight of the 11 were aged 23 or under probably the only two players in that starting lineup who you would expect to start regularly next season were Camille Grabara and Janino Pacuna, who absolutely bossed the game, which bodes really well that they've got that, that strength in depth. Um, Grabara is the first time we've had a, a chance to see him. His kicking was absolutely phenomenal. Like his, I, I was talking to some people before the game and they were saying, you need to, you need to look out for his distribution. It's a, it's a real weapon uh, that, that Town can use, sort of akin to... He's got that low, flat, sidewinder kick, similar to sort of Jordan Pickford or, or Edison, which could be a, a vital tool next season on the counter attack. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was good to see. I mean, he pulled off some—I don't know what you call them—Hollywood acrobatic saves mm. that we, you've probably all seen on on the highlights. So, don't know how much you can take from that, but like you say, looked solid against decent opposition, as did pretty much everybody. Bakuna again, another highlight. Mm. I think one of the positives as well, uh, what is it now, we've had five friendlies. There's been someone different who's sort of stood out in each of them and a variety of goal scorers. So on Wednesday, it was Rajiv Van Lepara and Janini Bakuna that got on the score sheet the week before that. You had Karoma and Hogg and Kachunga and 
before that we've had Adama Diakabi and Carlin Grant's got a couple as well so yeah n- nice to see after the trouble they had in front of goal last season nice to see a, a bit of a variety of goal scorers yeah but of course it all means absolutely nothing well yeah I mean that's our that's our next topic is you know how much weight can you really put on pre-season and Jan Siever has, has said after pretty much all of the games um, he stressed the need not to get overexcited what, what's your view on, on pre-season Jim and, and how, much, how, much, how much does it actually mean? Uh, pre-season means that much to me if I was, I was playing it on FIFA I would simulate it all yeah. I mean it's good for fitness it's good for embedding a certain style of play it's good for taking a look at your team, but it is pre-season and the key thing is it's not competitive. Yeah. And as whoever you're playing, you see these exhibition matches over in the United States, I just watched Bayern versus Dortmund, two big rivals, they, they couldn't care less. No. It was not a competitive game. Another thing I'll say is, yeah, maybe Doncaster played their first string team. In reality, we have no idea what Doncaster's plan, what their setup, what their intention is in that game. They might see it as a bit of a kickabout against yeah. a second string team. Yeah, they might see it as a fitness thing. They've I, only just got a new manager as well. Yeah, so he's probably like thinking, right? Is this my first eleven? Okay, they're playing a team of youngsters. You know, let's just use this as a as a game for to see individually who, who, who plays etc etc yeah, and, and sometimes they use it as kind of an exercise as well don't they for specific drills or situations so um, I mean they kind of ended up in an enforced situation because they had a, a man sent off with half an hour to go so they ended up being a what do we do with 10 men type mm-hmm. thing but sometimes managers will go into pre-season friendlies and say right I just want you to almost let them have the ball and I want to see how you cope with a team attacking you or I want you to forget about the defence today and just you know push forward and work yeah. on the attacking movement and again you don't know what the opposition have been told in that respect either. And the other key thing is there's no pressure whatsoever on the players, they're often playing in, in front of half, even 75% empty stadiums, mm. there's a kind of carnival atmosphere around friendlies particularly because of the time of the year and particularly because of the weather and everyone's out for a good time I've, I've seen town absolutely turn quality sides over in pre-season and I've seen us get battered by absolute dirge and in the end that was never an indicator of how we would perform come that first whistle on the first day of the season I, I think it's been positive because we've had a very poor season and we're coming off a lot of a season of a lot of negativity mm-hmm. uh, a lack of confidence so it, I think this more than any other pre-season we've had in recent years has been important to hit the ground running to win games for people to get on the score sheet but come derby I don't know what's going to happen in that game yeah exactly we, we, we could turn them over or they could turn us over yeah, they probably be nil nil. I mean, I've I've had people in my in my mentions saying it's kind of the opposite that they they, they think that there's a pattern that when Town have had a bad preseason, it's turned into a bad bad season, and when they've had a good preseason, it's turned into a good season. But I kind of feel like there might be a bit of selection bias there, I don't, confirmation I, bias. Yeah. I mean, if you look at last season, everybody remembers because a lot of us went to the Accrington game, mm. which was one of the most painful experiences I've ever been put through um, maybe that's a slight exaggeration yeah you've had a charmed life yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. Well, what can I say here I am an examiner towers um, 
However, I think people forget that we, we beat a lot of decent teams. Mm. We comfortably dispatched that Leipzig team, yeah. I believe, and, and, and a few others. Leon and Bologna, yeah. I think it was. So it is, it is, in hindsight, selective memory, and, and people pick out those really poor performances. Yeah. So, and, and, like, and likewise, I think, I don't think we had a particularly great pre-season the year that we got promoted from the, the championship, or I certainly remember it being quite mixed. Ho, ho, ho. Fact-checking Santa here. The summer of 2015 saw Huddersfield Town beat Geisley 3-1 and Leighton Orient 2-0 before losing 3-1 to Grimsby Town, 4-3 to Rochdale, getting a 0-0 draw with Deportivo de la Coruña and then losing to Barnsley 2-1. Ho, ho, ho. I, I agree with you. I think results are meaningless. I think it's... Um, useful for the managers to see how well their training methods are getting are going in, and as far as we can tell, uh, and the big positive from from the results is that the things Town have done well so far this summer have been the stuff has been the stuff that Sievert tried to instill in them. So the high pre- or backing them, and so the high press and the counter attacking, and you know winning the ball high up the field and and things like that. Um, but yeah, as you say, you don't know when you get into the season where the standard is going to be. I would say, though, for Town, as you said, after the season they had last year, I think it's, I think it is still a positive that Town have won four of the five friendlies so far. If only because it, if they'd lost all of those games, then Siva would have a hell of a job on his hand trying to get the players motivated and get them back to thinking that they are capable of winning games and you know it, it, the winning habit will go out the window if they lose to you know if they lose three of the first four but I think it for town in particular of all clubs in the country I think it's a nice little reminder that they are capable of winning games they are capable of getting different players on the score sheet and and after the year they had I think that that's uh, that that could be quite important yeah, and, and it's it's good to be talking about football after last week. It's good to be talking about who's <laughs> who's going to play where, what our form's going to be. So yeah, I think all in all, regardless of what happens at Montpellier, a, a positive pre-season. Mm-hmm. But the key is to take it into the actual season. So a positive pre-season on the pitch, and and what do you make of the, the signings off the pitch? We we ran through to sort of the squad depth last week, which I do recommend you check out if you're not already. But we didn't really talk in detail about about the new players that have that have come in. How do you assess Town's work in the transfer window so far this summer? I think it's been adequate. I think you know we discussed last week. The idea is to have a starter, cover, and development. I think again, as we discussed last week, there is it's fair to say some blur in between that mm. cover and, and development in a couple of positions. In a least. couple of positions, yeah. So I think. In terms of, we've clearly gone for the young, up-and-coming players with potential. And we've always done that. I think last season, that was a terrible, terrible mistake. Yeah. Because you don't have to do that in the Premier League. And not only do you not have to do it, you're going to get punished if you do. Yeah. You need Premier League-ready players. However, I think in the Championship, you can get away with that and still perform quite well. We've got a good spine of the team yeah a good uh, a lot of players who have not only championship experience but championship you know what playoff winning experience or some of them championship winning experience so all the players fit in and around that um 
the test will be if the likes of a Moy or a Congolo or even a billion to an extent go and there's money, do we carry on that yeah. strategy? Or do we spend it on someone who's proven somebody perhaps who's more in that top bracket of the championship or lower bracket of the Premier League? That's where the, the test will be. But I think we look like a comfortable championship squad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that the club have talked about quite a lot this summer is this idea that, that I mean, every club says it, but they're looking at a character and profile as much as they are ability on the pitch. And they have specifically gone after players that, that had promotion campaigns or, or successful campaigns last season. So Josh Caroma was brought in late in Orient, they got promoted. Tommy Alfick was brought in from Aston Villa, they got promoted. Reese Brown came in from Forest Green Rovers, they got to the playoffs, which for them, a club of that stature um, in League Two, was a huge achievement. And they've specifically gone for those players that have got that, that what they think of as a winning mentality. Just I think just because after the season Town had last year, and, and to be honest, to an extent the year before, where they were battling at the bottom of the table, they wanted to inject a little bit of, of, of that spirit that winning spirit in back into the dressing room by bringing in players that have come straight from clubs where where they've been doing that. That's actually quite impressive when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, on top of that, you've got Herbert Bockhorn and and Camille Grabara as well, um, who, as, as we mentioned, looked all right against Doncaster. And, and I, I, I expect that he'll be playing as, as the first choice goalkeeper so next I, season. Yeah. One of, one of the problems with pre-season podcasts is we sit here this week and we don't really know much more than last week. Yeah. So at, at the risk of repeating myself, I will also just put a note of caution in there. Bockhorn, in reality, we know nothing about. Yeah. None of us watch German regional leagues. Karoma was playing in the National League. Yeah, he's come from non-league. It's such a big step up. We don't know how he'll step up. Yeah. Same with, with Reese Brown, obviously. League 2 played really well. Got a lot of goals for, the, for a midfielder. And I mean, I think I would say with Reese Brown as well, I think reading about him and, and look, you know speaking to people that have followed his career, I think he's a player who has ended up in League 2 less because of talent and more because of attitude. Okay, yeah. Um... Which in 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 a positive sense or a negative sense? In a negative sense, he, okay. he he's he's well, he's acknowledged himself. He had well documented issues at Birmingham. Mm. He was you know uh, turning up late for training and skipping gym sessions and things like that. Don't and we all? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I've been skipping gym sessions for months. Now. Yeah, uh, it was at the time when he was starting to break through into the first team in the championship for Birmingham, um, and then that started happening. He ended up getting suspended. And his career kind of stalled after that, and it was only when he went to Forest Green that his his career sort of picked up again. I believe from speaking to people from the Gloucestershire region, they were saying that the move seemed to do him good, like getting away from the city and getting out into into the country um, in Gloucestershire. Seemed genuinely. <laughs> no, no, it sounds like, like a, a great story. It sounds like an evacuee story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is twenty three. We we kind of I think we're thinking of him and like Karoma as being like the same age, but he is. Uh, by by town standards, one of the most Ancient. senior players. Yeah, but I mean, the, the the thing is, is one, two, three, four of them could all step up. Yeah, 
some of them might not and we should be prepared for that and we should give them time and space yeah a, a player I think someone like maybe not a direct comparison but someone like a Joe Lolly yeah when he came to the championship from the National League he had fits and spurts of clear talent he was raw and that was exciting and that's something I see in Karoma yeah but it took him a while yeah and it's only you know, what three four seasons on that he's a comfortable, talented championship player. Player of the season at Forest. Exactly. And, and now has a £15 million price tag allegedly on his head. So it does take time. And when you're 19, 20, 21, you make mistakes. Mm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a hell of an experience for Karoma to go from playing in front of, you know, admittedly at, at, at that level, uh, a decent crowd, to playing in front of 20, 22, 24,000 people, we sometimes don't think about these things. Yeah. That these are young men. Yeah. And if you think, if you think back to when I was 19, I mean, God, I could yeah. barely put one foot in front of the other. So we've got to give them credit and we've also got to recognise that and give them time, give them space. As fans on the internet, because these are young men growing up in a generation where they do have access to social media, they, they will watch it. Also, in the stadium, on the terraces, all I would say, and I think all it's fair to ask, is that give them time, give them space, let them make mistakes and grow into themselves yeah. at a higher level. And that's off the pitch as well. Like As I say, we mentioned Rhys Brown, and um, I should say the end to that story was, was they were saying he matured massively and you know he, lo- he looks like... Ready he's... to move back to the big yeah. metropolis yeah, of Huddersfield. Exactly. But... And and he's acknowledged those mistakes himself. But like as you say, you think about yourself when when you're that age, and it's like, you know, there is a lot of stuff going on in your personal life. Although they, you know, the club do as much as they can to try and, you know, cosset them without suffocating them, uh, and and keep their mind on 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 the ball. At that age, inevitably, you're going to have stuff going on in your personal life that that affects your professional life and moving to a new city is like it's something that we never talk about in football like mm. but it's not an inconsequential thing no. to, if you spent all your life living in London as Karoma has I believe and then you you move up to, to Yorkshire it, it can be a bit of a culture shock and mm. it, it you're not going to be performing your best while you're still trying to you know sort yourself out and sort your life out and and get used to to a new way of of life in a new new town just like when i mean i'm sure we've all had experiences of moving away for a job or for university you know it takes time to adjust yeah whatever and football is just because they get paid money doesn't mean that they're still not human beings yeah and so it, and it's not to say that no footballer ever hits the ground running or no young player can ever slot into a first team because obviously demonstrably they can but i think you're right to sort of sound a bit of caution and 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 sort of plead for a little bit of patience with particularly the younger players the 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 other the other player we've not talked about transfer wise who is at the other end of that scale is tommy elphick though mm-hmm. who's 31 been captain everywhere he's been glowing reports from from every manager he's ever worked with we, which we we did talk about a little bit last week uh how how do you view that do you think getting in that experience alongside the youth was was important for town to do this summer yeah definitely and i think it echoes some of the kind of transfer dealings we did when we were in the the championship you know bringing in a, a schindler or a lover or a heffler okay they were all younger but they'd all captained their sides, arguably 
very big sides, bigger than Huddersfield Town, I, I would argue. Um, feel free to bleep <laughs> that out. <laughs> See what social media backlash we get. I can't believe you suggested that there are any clubs bigger than Huddersfield. I know it's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous game, but imagine if know, a player did that. Fear not, <laughs> fear not the path you're walking on for a lack of other people walking on it. I believe that was a, a butchering of a Robert F Kennedy quote. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously it's positive. Yeah, Elphick has brings his own issues. He hasn't played a great deal of football recently. He strikes me as someone who lacks pace. Mm. And perhaps that's not the best partner for Schindler to have. Yeah. Because he's not the fastest either. But again, he clearly is somebody, and you know, you've seen some of these preseason games, he's somebody who talks. Yeah. He's not shy. Yeah. And I think Schindler, although he is a leader, is not a vocal leader. Mm. It's positive to have, have him in the team, positive for him to, you know, show other players and to have that kind of respect that, you know, I've been there, I've done it. It seems to be, I mean, I'm not going to like claim that like I'm an expert on the social mechanics of Huddersfield Town based on, do. <laughs> based on having been to two and a half training sessions. The one I went to on Friday up at PPG Canal side, it started absolutely lashing it down. I was there with my laptop, I was going to live blog the whole thing and then heavens opened and it was, it's like, well, I can't even write. So this is a, this is a waste of time. Anyway, Elphick strikes me as having like a sort of a, a natural earned respect he's he's not he's not a Roy Keane who's going around breaking people's balls and you know as far as I can tell um, he's just he's he's just got this a, a quiet dignity to him and you know I'm sure that he, he will give people an earful if they need it but yeah I think again speaks of the kind of characters that they're trying to bring in they, they don't want players that are going to come in and, and shout at shout at everyone <laughs> Yeah, I mean, speaking of, of players that have been shouted at, yeah, I mean, the Billing and, and Zanka sagas drag on. I know we've heard this week that potentially Billing is slated for a, a £17 million move to Bournemouth. I, I would be very sceptical of that number, mm. not necessarily the move itself. And Zanka, I believe, is still linked with a move to Fenerbahce. Yeah, that one keeps coming up. 3.5 million euros. Mm. Um, I actually bumped into some uh, Fenerbahce fans in, in Lisbon and, and they were asking me, you know, is this going to happen? So it's clearly got maybe more legs if it's been reported in the Turkish media as mm. well. Uh, I'd, I'd like to just, I'm not going to say defend both of them, but maybe put both of their situations into some perspective. So I've got kind of like three points to make. The first is on, on billing. You know, we spoke about the likes of Karoma and Reese Brown being young men, um, having to adapt to the world like, like we all did at that time. Um, I think Billing's in the, the same situation. Mm. I think if you're in a job and you don't particularly like your manager or your boss and you go away to your home country and you get interviewed by a newspaper and, and, and you say all this stuff. And to be honest, it was, it was out of order by Billing. Yeah. But again, he's, he's still quite a young man and he's somewhere clearly where he doesn't want to be. And we've all been in that situation, right? We've all been in a job that we didn't like. From what he said in his interview, and I, I do not know whether this is true or not, he says that, you know, Jan Siebert's this kind of guy who is, is very 
in your face, he'll tell you what he thinks, and he's a bit shouty. And I, I, I can believe that. A lot of, a lot of coaches are. Um, some people just don't respond to that. Mm. And I think there's this, this attitude, particularly see fans saying, oh, well, you know, back in my day, you know, you'd go in and you'd get the air dry treatment. And, and the truth is, it's not back in the day. Mm. People respond to different things, and I think a lot of players actually need an arm around them. Yeah. Um, well, people go on about the hair dry with Ferguson, but like you read about how he treated Eric Cantona, and he would never subject no, Cantona it, to that. He gave him complete carte blanche yeah. to do what he wanted because he knew that was the kind of. Player. I like that you went French for the. Uh, well, you know, I, I, it was. It was. You could have said a blank slate. It was unintentional, <laughs> but I will absolutely take credit for my cultural uh, vocabulary. Absolutely. I mean, there's a story about like I think it was like a postseason meal or something like that, or an awards day or, or something along those lines. And Lee Sharp, who I think it's fair to say was a bit of a, a troublesome player at times, turned up looking a bit of a scruff, and Ferguson gave him a right rollicking in front of 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 the rest of the squad and then Cantona turned up in like a t-shirt and jeans and it's just like oh great to see you <laughs> yeah. but, but that's because Eric Cantona could do his talking on the pitch yeah. and Ferguson knew, knew that he needed him now I think that's where Billing's gone wrong I think Billing maybe overestimates his ability he's clearly a talented player I, 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 I've said this on and it's documented you know I've, I've <laughs> just uh, so you know I've said this multiple <laughs> time occasions codes. give me give time, time codes I've said this multiple occasions. He always struck me as the kind of all-round midfielder. Yeah. Um, he could tackle. He could. He could pass. He had long-range passing ability. He could shoot. Um, maybe the defensive side of his game dropped off. And he always gets criticised, like all players get criticised in England. If you look a bit languid. Yeah. And then Messi Ertzel, he always got criticised. He had the best assist stats in the Premier League yeah. after three years and David Moyes was still saying well he still hasn't proved himself in the Premier League so that's kind of a cultural thing so I, I just I, don't know, I just think cut people some slack if he wants to leave he, he wants to leave you know Matt Glennon said to me when, when, on, on, a, on another podcast we interviewed him a lesser podcast I might add. <laughs> it's dead now so he can criticise yeah, yeah, it yeah yeah you know he said one of, the, one of the reasons he kind of like dropped out of professional football and, and went to Halifax and then one of the reasons he dropped, he dropped out of football together is because he was a grown man and people were coming in and just shouting at him, treating him like a kid. Mm. And no matter how much you get paid, some people, I'm like this, I just, I'd, I wouldn't have that. Mm. I wouldn't like it. It's not pleasant. Um, so I can understand that as well. And I'd, I'd sat down with a, a pizza up buffet with another sportsman. I presume it being a pizza up buffet, it was one of... Gareth Southgate, Stuart Pearce. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I, well, I can't tell you, but he wasn't a footballer. So, no, he um, he's a rugby player, and I ate more than him. Just, and I don't know whether that's a good thing <laughs> or a bad thing. But he he said, you know, what people don't often recognise, like it is a job. Doesn't matter how much you get paid, um, do the same thing day in, day out, working with people that for. Good or bad reasons, you know, that you, you don't particularly like. Mm. It gets boring. It grinds you down. Mm. Um, and I think the same thing with Zanka. Zanka strikes me. And by the way, I, will, I would say I don't think Zanka did anything, like, really that wrong. He basically said, next season my options are open. Yeah. I would, you know, there's, there's, the world is a big place. I would like to explore that. That's absolutely fine. I mean, he... Clearly, he strikes me as, as a cultured, urbane, cosmopolitan man 
who wants to do something new. And, you know, that clearly came across when he did his Zanka time. Yeah. Twitter I, things. I, I do think it's only because they're both Danish that we keep talking about Billing and Zanka as though they're... The Danish... Yeah, the Danish... And, and then I and do Lursel was in that. Yeah, Lursel yeah. was in that, wasn't yeah, yeah. he? The, the troublesome trio. It's, it's funny how like we just assume that they're all mates and they're all basically the same yeah, yeah, and their yeah, attitudes and yeah. what's gone on just because they're all Danish. But I understand what Zanka's saying. He's, yeah. he's, he's of a certain age and he, he would like to go and do new things. What's wrong with that? And this, this brings me to my, my third point. This might sound a bit extreme, but I think there is something very strange about the employment of football players. I, I think it is, by definition, indentured servitude. Mm. You have to give your labour to an employer for a fixed contract, for a fixed time, mm. and for a fixed wage that you have, you know, very little chance of getting out of. I don't know whether you can buy yourself out of a football contract, I'm not sure. And then, this employer decides when it sells you to a third party and then you have to sign another contract that is essentially indentured servitude. Mm. It's odd. None of us would like that in our mm. everyday lives. And obviously, the comeback is, and it essentially is the only comeback, you get paid a lot of money. And that's true. But actually, a lot of football players don't get paid a lot of money. You go down to League One, League Two, and you get one injury, um, you have a very short career. Um, it's just a strange, strange setup. I think to, to play, I do kind of agree with your, your broad point. To play devil's advocate, though, for a moment, I think there is also an argument that players know what they're getting into yeah. when they sign those contracts. And if you wanted to get out of it, you could just say, look, I'm not going to sign any contract mm. that's more than a year. Yeah. Uh, and we can make it a year rolling contract, but I want a year contract mm. and uh, nothing more. And I accept that I'm going to get paid a bit less yeah. because of that. But that's that's all I'll do. But in reality, how many of us, when we were 19, 20, 21, looking at a short career, would do that? Yeah, realistically. And well, that's I, the thing. Yeah, because they're, they're they're on the player side of things. The benefit of signing a three, four year contract is that if you get an ACL injury or something mm. like that in the middle of that, then you're covered, and you know that you've got a club to mm. go back to who can't just sack you because you got injured, which is an occupational hazard. And, and loyalty is a two way thing. Yeah, it's a two, you know, it's not just a player to a club and to fans and to, to management. It's it's the other, it's the other way around. It's management, club, and, and play and fans to a, to a, a player, and that's that bond isn't strong anymore no I mean how many you hear stories all the time of players just being told basically we've accepted a bid yeah so, see you later so off you go yeah who was that reading some, I was reading something about that I think it might have been Marcus Stewart actually at Huddersfield yeah anybody feel free to correct me if I'm wrong but you know he came into to trading and Steve Bruce just said you're off to yeah. switch we've had a whatever two point whatever million pound offer you're off imagine I mean, again, right? I mean, my sympathy and, extends so far. They do get paid a lot of money. They do know what they're getting into. I think in reality, it's it's there's this other shady element, which is players, agents, and agencies mm. that, are, that are taking all these fees and, and money, and, and are also kind of acting like these weird um, middlemen, trading people. But I just think it's it's worth remembering that look, there's plenty of bile at foot, in football. And you know, just 
direct it within reason to opposition players mm. on a Saturday at 3pm or now on a, a Monday at 7.45 or a Friday on the, the other thing that no one ever talks about with Billing is the fact that he had a town fan racially abuse him earlier this year yeah which which and, and, and by the way I mean you often see this argument that, oh, it's, it's when, when Kick It Out as a campaign or where there's some campaign by Pride in Football. Oh, just get over it. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like it used to be. And it's not like it used to be. I, I, I remember being on, on, on being five, six, seven, being at town and hearing the most vile racial abuse directed at our black players, whether it's Clyde Vinard or Simon Baldry or like proper racial abuse. And this is, this is groups of predominantly men doing mm. this like you think about that now yeah. that would not happen I, I, yeah, this I was heard, a, a, a teenager yeah. sliding into his DMs wasn't it on yeah. Instagram but I, I, have, I have heard still I, I hear um, I don't want to say something like low level abuse but, but I hear racial abuse I hear homophobic abuse yeah. uh, and I think there's a willful blindness to a lot of it and yeah. you know that's something that I can't as, as, as a white bloke um understand mm. what impact that would have because I can guarantee you that is not the only racial abuse that Philip no. Billing have, re- have received No, and it's, and, and it's he, probably been at a low level constant wherever he goes as well yeah I was but, about to say yeah he, he, he's going to get it and, and probably all black players mm. will get it wherever they play so you know we're not trying to make out like but you can understand how if a, a player was already kind of unhappy with you know, he's been with the club since he's a teenager, and if he's already unhappy with his standing, he thinks that he's proven himself as a Premier mm. League player and doesn't want to play in the Championship anymore. Uh, and he's already, you know, he's not getting on with the with the new head coach. Whether that's, you know, whether he's tried to get on with with Siva is another matter. But I doubt uh, it. And and let, yeah, let's, it seems like he's. Let's not. be clear. And that's what he did. Issue, what he did was wrong. Yeah. What, what, it was definitely a disciplinary offence. Yeah. But but at this, but you can understand how if all of that was going on and then you also got this racial abuse, mm. you'd be like, oh, do you know what? Yeah. I'm completely done with this. Place. And and now and now obviously since the interview came out and it's something to be expected that he's just got constant. I imagine his mentions on on social media are just constant abuse. Yeah. So oh yeah, anytime we post any story about Billy Norzenka, Twitter and Facebook is there'll be fifteen comments within five yeah, minutes. Yeah. yeah. Good riddance and blah blah blah, and you can understand the fans feeling that way. I can certainly understand about Billy, but I just don't get the Zanka thing. I, yeah. I, I think that's a, a level of people being quite precious. Yeah. Um, but kind of my attitude or my approach would be, it's happened. There's clearly this fracture between the player and the club and the fan base. Let's just all move on. Yeah. It's in both our interests to get a deal. With the most money possible, yeah, and then to you know say thanks, Phil, really appreciated. I don't think many people will be saying that. No, they won't. But you don't, and I'm not saying you have to. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying we need to just, yeah. you know, move on. They're, they're, it, they're kind of toxic, and they're, they're off. The, and I think that's why they've been taken out the squad yeah. more than anything else. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a bit. It becomes a bit of a circus, otherwise, doesn't it? Having them mm. around, um, around the team and around. Um, around the club so and I understand in a sense as well I'm playing a bit devil's advocate because yeah. I've only ever heard one side of this story yeah and you know by arguing that the employment situation of footballers is akin to indentured servitude I am taking some 
liberties or using creative license. But I do think it is important at some junctures to, to, to reflect on these things. Yeah. Um, to not always have a knee-jerk response or to pile in and to sometimes just say, okay, it is what it is, so it goes, let's move on. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll be out of the club and it'll be, you know, all in the past soon and we can focus on, on the positives. Is there anything else you wanted to cover today, Jim? Um, I can't think of anything of pressing importance. We need to say some stuff for next week, don't we? Yeah, so, so Montpellier, something yeah. about that. Yeah, I'm Mo- not going to lie to you. I don't know anything about Montpellier. Wow, no, nor do I. Steve Mounier came from Montpellier, did he? He did. Yeah, yeah. So that's what does Montpellier? He's not mean? there anymore, though. So that's useless information. Is it Pale Mountain or something like that? Is that I don't know. I don't know. Is it in the, it's in the south of France. It is in the I south believe. of France. Yeah. Can't get an internet up here in this tower. So, so yeah, we yeah we've got Montpellier, and obviously we'll be previewing the championship season ahead because. By the time next week's episode drops, it will be the Friday before we play Derby on the Monday. That will be a good episode, I think, because we yeah. can get into all the other teams. Whoa, and there's other teams. Derby preview. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got it on good authority. Whoa. Um, so, yeah, so there you go. You've heard it here first. That'll be a good episode. So make sure that you're subscribed. Yeah. yeah. Like and subscribe. Maybe and send review. us some questions as well. Yeah. Maybe do the work for us. Yeah, why not? I mean, we do do the live Q&As, but yeah, send, send us... Send us questions. Just sort of write them on a on a note and screw it up and send it into the ether. No um, questions about ducks and Andy Booth. We've we've had that one. It was dispatched quite well by Stephen here. That was from Chris Nee, who I do another podcast with. Oh, the uh, the the just for anybody who's slightly confused, <laughs> we're in a room and the shutters have just started going up. It's quite terrifying. To yeah, us. it feels we're like exposed to the world. I know, it feels like we're about to get like we're in a well. The ivory tower is about to be stormed by the angry masses. They've it's, heard what you said about Billion and Zanker and they come coming for us. It's about to be exposed as a, a a relatively unimposing building on a pretty dull industrial <laughs> estate in Bradley. To be honest, the secret is out. Oh well. Oh well. So in the meantime, you can follow us on Examiner HTFC. You can also find us on Facebook if you put in Examiner Live or just Town News. We'll be on there. I'm on Twitter at Stephen Chicken. That's Stephen with a V. Jimmy, you on Twitter? I am. It's Jim underscore Chisholm, C-H-I-S-E-N. And there we go. And until then, we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. April 5th, 1918. The occurrence of influenza of severe type was reported in Kansas. This flu will become the most deadly pandemic in modern history. How did the influenza of 1918 spread so far, so fast? And... Does it tell us anything about this next big outbreak? I'm Sally Helm, and this is History This Week. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.